We kicked off this new series last week, and, and I'm really excited about this because I, I think about what secular historians have said about Christianity. Even modern-day historians have said this. One particular, Karen Armstrong, she said this in her book, Fields of Blood. She said, against all odds, by the third century, Christianity had become a force to be reckoned with. And we still do not really understand how this came about. And so people look at our faith and the fact that it exists and that it's not only exists, but it was a force to be reckoned with. People look at that and they don't understand. How did it happen? I mean, we're a part of that. What happened? How did the church do it? Well, last week we discovered that it was first of all built upon an amazing truth that Jesus died for our sins, that he was buried, but then he was miraculously raised from the dead. And so Jewish people started, you know, giving their life and started following this risen Savior. And then the Gentiles, and a Gentile is simply anybody who isn't a Jewish person, and so that's pretty much most of us here today, the Gentiles who worshipped, you know, the gods, which were really just idols and images that, you know, were carved by human hands. Even the Gentiles started flocking to Jesus through that gospel message. And so in those early days of Christianity, before the New Testament existed, before Peter and James and John and others started writing the writings that we have today, there were some Jewish people, some Jewish Jesus followers, they tried to get, because now you have Jewish people believing in Jesus and you have Gentile people believing in Jesus, and this Jewish Jesus follower said, hey, we need all of you Gentiles to become Jewish. And we need you to follow the, the Jewish laws. And so the church had a crisis on its hands. And they had to address this. And so as we saw last week in Acts chapter 15, the church discussed this. The leadership discussed this. And James brought the conclusion, Acts 15, 19, and he said, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. So they were essentially saying Christianity doesn't need to be hitched to Judaism. That Gentiles do not have to become Jewish in order to follow Jesus. They don't have to be Jewish and, and get circumcised and follow the 600 some odd laws. To which all the Gentiles were like, <laughs> amen. They were pretty excited about that. So what did they have then? If they didn't have 600 laws to follow and 600 commands, what did they have? Well, in those earliest days, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a New Testament. What did they have? All they had was the gospel message, the good news about Jesus, that he died, he was buried, and he rose from the dead. And they had the teachings of Jesus. They had Jesus' commands. They have what Jesus asked of people who wanted to be a Jesus follower. They had all that Jesus asked. And so Jesus gave us these incredible thoughts, ideas, commands. He gave us approaches and attitudes and perspectives. And specifically, he gave these two, some of them in the form of nots. What not to do. Jesus said, do not, do not, do not, do not. And he said it over and over and over. And he said, do not, because he knew and he knows our tendency is to have these things or to do these things. So his nots that he gives to you and I as his followers, they're anything but, you know, obvious or automatic for us. But after the resurrection, 
after Jesus rose from the dead and after the believers were filled with the Spirit, they lived out these knots. And it was a big part of the reason that Christianity became this incredible force to be reckoned with. And so you and I have been invited to embrace which on a human level left to ourself, it's not automatic. Or as we're calling in this series, not omatic. Today I want to look at one of those knots. And one of those knots that Jesus taught his earliest followers was fear not. Or do not fear. But if your life, like me, your whole life has involved, you know, fear on some level, right? I mean, isn't that true for all of us? I mean, it all starts back in the very beginning when we're little with the boogeyman, doesn't? And I got to tell you right now, I just, last night, I blew it big time. I'll be honest, I blew it big time. I was with the elders and the elders, our wives and all of our kids, we were having a party together. I made the mistake of telling little Jack and Nora Briggs, that there was a boogeyman in the garage. Because <laughs> I didn't have a good illustration for the sermon, so I thought I'd destroy it. No. <laughs> it didn't dawn on me this morning, oh, that'll work in the sermon. But I blew it. It wasn't smart. Mark and Winnie called me at 3 a.m. saying, thanks for nothing. <laughs> and I'm like, come on, that's what uncles do. Write a passage, you know, you got to do that. Well, those fears that you have of the boogeyman, oh, by the way, I apologize. Those fears <laughs> that you have of the boogeyman are later confirmed. At least it was for me when I watched The Shining, right? Or Nightmare on Elm Street or whatever the case may be. And then a little bit later, the fright was whether or not, you know, I'd get picked on the team to play, you know, in the basketball game. A little later on, I was fearful as a freshman asking a senior girl, if I should ask a senior girl to the school dance. Yeah, it actually, it, it was something that was going on in my head. I was used to uh, wait for basketball back then. We had practiced late at night, and I'd be at the school, and this senior uh, cheerleader, she was there, and so we'd be sitting around, and somehow I just thought, because she was making signs for the game, and we were in the same building, I thought that somehow maybe she liked me. <laughs> right? So, you know, do I ask her? There's the fear of that. And if she says yes, you know, then the fear of that. I mean, can you say 17-year-old cougar? No, I probably shouldn't have said that in church. <laughs> After that, dread came to me with having to pick a college, finding a job after college, where to live, and on and on and on it goes. Fear not. It's so unrealistic. I mean, even today, we are living with and dealing with some form of fear, aren't we? I mean, today, some of us, there's a fear for us of what's happening in the world, what's going on in North Korea or with Russia. Others are dealing with a great deal of fear in Texas, Florida, Puerto Rico, and other places that have been hit hard by tropical storms. You know, there's some who have a great deal of fear as it pertains to our national political scene and the various topics that come up seemingly on a daily basis with that. Racial tensions seem, for example, to be rising in an almost alarming rate. 
And there's an element of fear for people with that. You know, others are dealing with health or medical issues. Others here are fearful and dealing with financial issues and relationship issues. And some of you are just fearful today because you're afraid your fantasy football team is going to get whooped today. And Grant is going to be the victor today like he was last week. Our new youth pastor who just killed everybody. So anyway, what do you mean, fear not? What do you mean, don't be afraid? How in the world could I ever get to this point? Fear not. And for it to actually be automatic in my life, it doesn't make sense. Experts say that a certain type of fear is not a bad thing. It exists for our protection as an early warning signal. But there is a difference between a healthy fear that tells us to step away from the edge of the cliff and a fear that keeps us from living and experiencing the life that God has for us. When fear goes past its function for keeping us alert or safe, it interferes with our ability to connect to the things in life that matter to us and that are important to us. It's the fear that convinces us that we can never accomplish our dreams or that tells us to keep quiet or it separates us from the ones we love. This fear has an unparalleled ability to freeze us in our tracks, to limit us to what we're willing to go after and to accomplish or try. This type of fear makes us lead and causes us to lead a, a small life. It limits our lives. And it's the type of fear that Jesus addresses when he says, fear not. In fact, this not command of Jesus seems to be what he addressed the most. Over and over and over, Jesus would tell his disciples, fear not, do not be afraid, do not live in fear. I want you to turn to one of those times, Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, if you can turn there. And we're going to pick up in verse 23. And on this particular time, when Jesus addresses this fear topic, this fear idea, Jesus was teaching on the Sea of Galilee, or by the Sea of Galilee. He's surrounded by a crowd. He finishes up his teaching, and now it's time to get away and rest. The only chance he has to be able to do that, because there's such a huge crowd, is he's got to get on a boat and go to the other side. Let's pick up the very familiar story. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23, and it says this. Then he got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was what? Sleeping. We all know the story. I don't know if he's sleeping, like really actually sleeping, snoring, or if he's doing the sleeping that a parent does when they're joking around with their kids and pretending like they're sleeping, but they're kind of trying to pay attention and watch what's going on. Oh, I don't know. I mean, the Bible says he's sleeping, so I'll take it at face value. But verse 25, the disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to, and what's the word? We're going to drown. These are fishermen, by the way, who say, we're going to drown. He replied, you have little faith. Why are you so, and here's one of our words today, why are you so, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, 
asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. See, they're all thinking they're going to drown in this storm, and, and Jesus is sleeping. Now, here's why this passage is important to you and I. Some of you have had, some of you might have currently, a faith crisis. There was or maybe there is a tragedy or there's an event in your life and you've prayed or you're praying and Jesus didn't or isn't responding the way you thought he should respond. And you have found yourself basically saying, well, either God doesn't exist or God doesn't care or God's just flat out asleep. You had a major crisis of faith and you thought to yourself, well, I thought God would, and you fill in the blank. I thought God would. So you walked away from faith. Or you became less faithful. What you do know as you sit here today, or it has happened in the past, is you know that your connection, that your relationship with God isn't what it could be or what it once was that your relationship and connection with God suffered, or for some is currently suffering. Why? Because you think God doesn't really care about my issues, about my stuff. He's essentially asleep. Listen, you're not the only one who felt that way or feels that way. You see, these people that Jesus loved experienced exactly what you've experienced. They thought their lives were falling apart. Now, I want you to track with me for a second. They thought their lives were falling apart in this moment, and not only did they imagine that God was asleep, because for some of us, we've wondered, is God asleep? I wonder if he's paying attention. I wonder if he cares. Is God sleeping? We've wondered that. Guess what? They're in the boat. They actually see him sleeping. So they're they're like, yeah, he is sleeping. They know it. Matthew 24 tells us there's a furious storm. The waves are blowing over the bow and the disciples are afraid. I mean, these guys are professional fishermen and they're afraid? Absolutely. You see, the reason we're afraid is because we are professional fishermen and we know what's happening right now, we're in big trouble. In fact, we might drown, we might die. So Jesus, how can you ask us Why are you so afraid? What kind of crazy question is that? I mean, I thought that there's a healthy fear that, you know, is protecting me from danger. Then Jesus gets up. He rebuked the wind and the waves. And then what happened? That water went completely calm. And the disciples were amazed. And then they ask in verse 27, What kind of man is this? Now, I love the insight into the story that Mark gives us. Mark 4.41 tells us. It's very interesting. And this is actually, Mark is, you know, basically sharing from Peter's perspective because Mark got his gospel from Peter. So this is Peter essentially saying. And what Mark does is he takes a noun form and a verb form of of the word afraid or fear He puts them together in the sentence when Jesus calmed the storm. And it says this in Mark. It says that after Jesus calmed the storm, they feared a great fear. 
the New Living Translation says it simply this way. They were absolutely terrified. Another translation says they were overwhelmed by fear. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. They were afraid of the storm, right? They were fearful of that. They were fearful of drowning, of dying. But then, after that, that fear was bad enough. Now they're really afraid, absolutely terrified more of Jesus because they came to the realization, oh my goodness, who is this in the boat with us? Matthew 8, 27, that even the wind and the waves obey him? And perhaps, just perhaps, in that moment, they began to put two and two together, that maybe our moms were wrong. When Winnie went home last night and said, no, don't worry, Jack, don't worry, don't listen to Uncle Chris, there's no boogeyman, there's nothing to be afraid of, maybe they were were wrong, maybe there actually is something to be afraid of, right? We have been afraid all along, but we've been afraid of the wrong thing all along. That's our problem, too. We've been afraid of the wrong things all along. We've been afraid of the situation. We've been afraid of the outcomes. We've been afraid of our circumstances. And later Jesus, sa- Jesus says it to them this way in Matthew 10, 28. He says, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Hebrews 3, 3, excuse me, Hebrews 13, 6 says, So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In other words, don't fear mortals. Why? Because they can't hurt the soul. In other words, don't fear the thing. Don't fear the disease. Don't fear the storm. Don't fear the person. Don't fear the bank statement. Don't fear the credit card bill. Don't fear the rejection. Don't fear the empire in their case. Because all it can do, all they can do is destroy the physical. All they can do is destroy the body. All they can do is destroy the temporary. And I got to tell you, that's a difficult pill to swallow. When Jesus says this. You see, but it's Jesus who wants you and I to have an eternal perspective. That life on this planet is temporary. That what we have here on this planet is temporary. It's not eternal. And so Jesus wants you and I to get to a point where we elevate ourselves above the temporary and get to a point of having an eternal perspective. Why would I fear anything? that affects this tent of a body. Eternity is way bigger than this temporary. It's a difficult pill to swallow. Instead, Jesus is saying, fear or revere the one that controls your ultimate destiny, that controls your soul. This is what the Bible refers to as the fear of the Lord. Maybe you've heard of that. The Bible talks about that. Have a fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is a reverential awe of God a reverence for his goodness and his glory and his power. It's also a proper respect for even his wrath and anger. 
You see, the fear of the Lord is a total and complete acknowledgement of who God is. Not just that one sliver that we love. What part of God do you love? You know the part I love? The merciful, gracious, forgiving God. Don't you love that part of God? God's more than that. And a fear of the Lord is having an acknowledgement of all that God is and how we fit into the equation of who God is. So in that moment, the disciples' fear of their present circumstances, which were awful, they potentially think they're going to die, that fear was eclipsed by a greater fear of the one who was in their presence. God was in their midst. So all of a sudden, the fear of their circumstances, it became tiny, insignificant, because they recognized who they were with. Well, time goes by for the disciples, and Jesus is like, well, the lesson isn't over yet. So let's jump ahead a few chapters to Matthew 14. Matthew 14. Jesus, there's another famous story. Jesus has performed a miracle, feeding over 5,000 people. It was just an incredible day. And then Matthew says something, and and it grabs me. Maybe it doesn't you, but it's powerful, but it's also kind of humorous to me. Matthew 14, 22, it says this in the NIV. It says, and I want you to say this word with me, immediately Jesus what? What does it say? Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Now, why did Jesus have to make the disciples get in the boat? That's that's where my brain goes. That's my question. I'll bet it's because they remember the last time they got in the boat, it didn't go so well, right? And so they're thinking, I don't want to have anything to do with boats again. I'm done with boats. So here we have the same guys, maybe the same boat, in the same lake. But this time, Jesus says, get in the boat. I'm not coming with you. (laughs) And just think about where their minds are going here for a second. Whoa, 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 Jesus, I'm sick of these lessons that you like to teach us. This one's going to be so bad, you're not even showing up with us? Verse 23, after he had dismissed them, Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves. I like that word. Buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So this time there isn't a storm, but they're rowing into this headwind. And when you put all the gospel accounts together of this story, we know that they were rowing for hours upon hours upon hours, trying to get to the other side of the lake, Because Jesus said, row, row, row your boat. So they're going to row across the lake. So they're rowing and rowing and rowing, practically going nowhere. And then, while they're worn out, while they're tired, perhaps soaking wet, because uh, if you've ever been in a boat and and the water, and, you know, the water, especially, you know, not like a giant boat, but just a small little ski boat or fishing boat. And the waves, when you're buffeted by waves, you get wet. They're probably soaking wet. Look at verse 25. Shortly before dawn. And you know what that means? That means that was the longest boat ride ever for them. They're professional fishermen. They know we're going to row to the other side. All right, it'll take us a couple hours. They've been rowing all night long. They're worn out. 
They're tired, and I want you to hold that thought as you think about fear. Shortly before dawn, verse 25, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were, what's the word? They were terrified. They're like, every time Jesus sends us on the water, something happens. My fear meter, it's pinging. This fear not command, Jesus, it's definitely not automatic for me. By the way, obviously, they didn't consider it to be Jesus. Why? Look at verse 26. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in what? In fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. And here it is again. Do not be afraid. So here's the lesson for us today. You don't have to be afraid, even when you have something to be afraid of. You don't have to be afraid even when there's something that we could be afraid of. There are enough circumstances and situations in your life that take place in your life and my life where we have plenty of opportunity to be afraid. We all deal with fear. There's plenty of fear to go around for all of us. And this is Jesus' response to our fear. And I want you to say this yourself using the I word, and you just say to yourself, I don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. I don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. You see, that's what Jesus taught you and I about fear, that you and I don't have to be afraid, even when there's something to be afraid of. With Jesus as our Savior, with Jesus at our side, or to be more theologically accurate, with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us, you don't have to be afraid any longer. Isaiah 41.10 encourages us when it says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. In John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus said this, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the catchy phrase as to what fear is, right? Maybe you've even used it for, before. Some of you raise your hand if you know kind of the, the acronym for fear, right? You've heard it. A couple people know that fear is false evidence appearing real. You've heard that before. There are times when we have a fear of something that is not grounded in reality or truth. And in those circumstances and instances, this catchy phrase of false evidence appearing real, it is helpful, absolutely. However, there are plenty of circumstances in life where the fear is real. And there is reason to be afraid. Which is why what Jesus says is so incredibly powerful and so incredibly important for us. Don't fear when in fact you do have something to fear. I'm with you. Do not fear. Dr. Henry Cloud says this of fear. He says, all fear means is that our brains are registering something as danger and the normal reaction is to have bodily signs like anxiety and a fear response like wanting to fight it or run away. 
So when Jesus says, do not fear, he says, I'm leaving you with my peace. And the peace of God that he gives you and I is what reverses what is a normal bodily reaction. It's like, imagine it this way, it's like the spirit of the living God just releases in us just these doses of peace in the midst of fear that we should normally have a reason to fear. Jesus says, fear not, even when you have something to be afraid of. I got you. Here's my peace. You're all good. Tap into it. Turn to me. Trust me. Do you know what that is? That, my friends, is turning on your faith. It's a faith that overcomes fear. Now, here's something that's actually encouraging to me, I hope to you. They didn't learn it right away. They didn't figure it out right away. The reality is these disciples still had to figure it out. When Jesus was arrested, did they stand by their man in the end? Do you guys remember the story? What's the answer? Did they stand by their man when Jesus was arrested? What's the answer? No, they took off. They were terrified. They ran away. They denied Jesus. They hid from Jesus. They didn't figure it out. Most of them, they didn't even show up for Jesus' funeral. They were afraid to be associated with him. They were scared to death. Fear not was not automatic. But think about it. They were with Jesus every single day for three, day, three years. They sat through all the teachings. They saw all the miracles. They saw Jesus walking on water. They saw him calm the ocean. And they had a greater fear of him than anything else. All of that. And yet at the end of the day, they ran away because they were afraid of their circumstances rather than fearing the one who has the power over life and death. So how did they emerge as fearless later on? What happened? What changed? Was it another lesson? Was it another boat ride? No. It was simply seeing, observing, witnessing a resurrected Savior. Because once Jesus rose from the dead, and once the Spirit of God entered into their lives, they became fearless. Why? Because a resurrected Savior, along with the Holy Spirit living inside of us, that's what changes everything for you and I. And here's the fascinating thing, and here's why we're camping out on this for a couple weeks and talking about these knots for the next couple weeks. Because the early, and I want you to think about this, because the early followers of Jesus, they got this, they figured it out. Because these early followers of Jesus realized what Jesus did, that he rose from the dead, because they got that, and with the Spirit of God living in them, the knots became automatic for them. The early followers of Jesus figured out what you and I as American Christians have missed. They figured out that when you finally come to the conclusion and you finally stake your eternity on the fact that Jesus died for your sins, that he was buried, that he rose from the dead, and that he offers us resurrection life, he offers us resurrection life along with the Holy Spirit living in you. When you get to that point like they did, then your fear begins to evaporate. 
What you are once afraid of, you're no longer afraid of anymore. Once you learn, as Jesus said, to fear not the one who controls, you know, eternity. Once you realize you don't have to fear, you know, someone who's going to destroy the temporary. You don't have to fear the disease. You don't have to fear what can harm your body. You don't have to fear the circumstances. But you learn to revere and fear the one who has your eternity at heart. You know what happens? You change. Something goes on on the inside. And what was completely unrealistic becomes automatic. How do we know? Well, many examples are out there, but here's one. In the late 2nd century, Marcus Aurelius, who was the emperor of, of Rome, the Roman, you know, empire, Christians were being persecuted in his reign on a massive scale. This is about 160, 170 years after Jesus. Christians are not only being, you know, killed and put to death, they're being tortured to death. They went through un the unspeakable things. And during that time, there was a famous Greek uh, medical doctor, and his name was Claudius Galenus. And he wrote this about Christians. He said, For the fearlessness of death and the hereafter is something we witness in them every day. It's like, no matter what we put them through, no matter how much we want them to recant, every single day, their fearlessness of death and the hereafter, they're not afraid. These early believers, they're not afraid to step into what's next. They have no fear of their circumstances. And he said, that's something we're witnessing in them every single day. Fear not, fear not, fear not. How? By having such a great reverence for God, a fear of God, that everything else pales in comparison, that everything else that we would normally fear, it's not that big of a deal in comparison to our fear and reverence for Almighty God. Fear God, don't fear the storm. Fear not your circumstances. And that's what God invites us to. He invites us to submit ourselves and surrender ourselves and to surrender our fears to a God who loves us, who is with us, who cares about us, who's not surprised what is happening to you, and he'll walk with you through it, providing you his peace. Jesus says, fear not, even when you have something to be afraid of. So I just want to ask you as we wrap up this morning, what do you fear? What do you fear? Where do your fears reside? And by the way, experts say that one of the keys to overcoming fear is to admit the existence of the fear. So be honest. Put aside your pride. What do you fear? Start by naming it. For some of you, it's you know, losing a child. For some of you, it's a financial fear. For others of you, it, it's a fear pertaining to your marriage or your health or the health of a loved one. For some of you, it's a fear that's, you know, job-related. What is it you fear most? What is your storm? What is, you know, your storm where the waves are crashing over and they're coming in and you're thinking, oh, Jesus is asleep. What is it that you fear right now? What is your thing? Is it a fear of criticism? Fear of rejection? Fear of natural disaster? Fear of loss, fear of the unknown, fear of change, fear of the past, fear of punishment, fear of failure. Here's the message. Fear not. And not because there isn't something to fear, but because Jesus is with you.
Because he provides you his peace. And you can bank on it. Why? Because he conquered death. He conquered death. It's way bigger than whatever it is you're afraid of. So no need to fear your circumstances. Don't let fear limit your life. A, B, C, and then we'll close. Accept, admit that it's real. B, believe that Jesus gave us proof that we can overcome our fear when he was resurrected. And then conquer your fear through faith or complete trust in God. And he'll release his peace into your life. A, B, C. Accept, believe, conquer. Then you will no longer fear those silly little circumstances. Oh, Chris, how can you call my circumstances little? Re-listen to the message. Re-listen to the message in light of who Jesus is and what he's done. And then fear not will become automatic. Let's pray. God, you really hit the nail on the head in this message. And you're tapping into something, God. Fear is a part of our life. And and that's why you talked about it so much. And so, God, we want to surrender to you. And we want to have, if we have a fear, it's a reverent fear of you and not fearing our circumstances. And so, God, we press into you and we trust you and we believe in you. And, God, we, we turn our faith over to you. And so, God, give us your peace to get us through whatever we face so that we too today can be a force to be reckoned with as Jesus followers. God, right now we come to give you an offering. And this is an opportunity, Lord, not to live in fear, but to trust you, to not fear our circumstances by giving you back a portion of what you've given to us. Use this for your glory. Use it for your kingdom. We come right now, God, give us your peace as we worship you through giving this offering. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.